What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 151, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Inauguration. Inauguration! It's the... We are inaugurating a new president and a new vice president into... Well, not the vice president so much into the Stargate program. But anyway, yes. Friends, we're an independent podcast. So if you would like to support the show... You can do that at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. There's tiers and privileges, and Zach will let us know a little bit about that in just a bit. Uh, but one of the privileges you get is access to our Patreon first content. We've got a few different little shows on there. There's the other side of the gate. We're a good friend of the show and executive quasi producer, uh, executive quasi producer. I think that's the first time I put those words in that order. Uh, executive David, quasi producer. <laughs> yes, the executive quasi producer, David. Uh, and Zach, they talk about uh, thematic stuff and spoiler things, things that uh, generally it would be a bad idea for me to know about. So uh, so they 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 chat about it, produce the show, hand me the audio file and I just post it. It could be uh, it could be three hours of the hamster dance song. I don't even know. Um, I don't even listen. So uh, but that you can listen to that right away. Uh, Zach and I also do Stargate Second Chances, where based off your votes, we revisit certain episodes of Stargate, rewatch them and give another quick analysis and a new re-ranking. Sometimes our rankings stay the same. Sometimes our rankings stay the same. Most of the time, they don't. Uh, sometimes they change drastically, <laughs> and uh, it's a lot True of fun. Story. Uh, and the third thing that we're doing is uh, Stargate Infinity. We lost a bet where, uh, based off of a stretch goal that we thought would never happen, we are now watching the Stargate, uh, the animated non-canonical series from early two thousand, Stargate Infinity. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, if you are saying to yourself, that sounds like an awful lot of stuff that's behind a paywall, buddy. Uh, the short answer is, aha, I said first, not only. So all of this stuff eventually makes the main feed, especially when we want to take breaks. So you don't have to support us on Patreon if you don't want to. You'll be able to hear all of it. But if you want to support us and you want access to that stuff right away, that's the thing to do. And if you have a friend in your life that wants more excellent Stargate podcast content, you should tell them to go look us up. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and Google Podcasts and, you know, I was about to make some quip about how it's only a matter of time before those things get like bought and sold and change hands and it turns into Tesla podcasts or something. I don't even know. But uh, you can do what is the right thing to do and tell your friends that they need to go into <laughs> podcast aggregators, search for Walking Through the Stargate, and they can find us there. So, Zach... Yes, Brent. If a person wants to let us know about their uh, uh, forecast as to whether or not the uh, electric vehicle automaker is going to start getting into podcast creation, how might they reach out and let us uh, know about their thoughts on that? Well, if you have insider information on what Elon Musk is doing and you want to <laughs> share that with us, you can do that by emailing us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com, which is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-G-H-T-H-H-E-S-T-H-E-S-T-H-E-S-T-H-E-S-T-H-E-S-T-H-E-S-T-H-E-S-T-H-E-S-T-H-E-S-
I totally want to pretend to buy this so I can jack up the price and get a whole lot of extra money and then not and sell it before it crashes. Yeah. That's totally not a thing that I'm doing. Of no. course not. No. Wait. Uh, and now yeah, Twitter is like, no, 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 no. You have to buy the dumb thing. You said you were going to. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, whatever. Whatever happens bucks. to Twitter, you can still go to at Stargate Walking on Twitter and follow us there. And you can get uh, conversing with mostly Brent and sometimes me occasionally. Yep. Uh, I, I visit Twitter about as often as Brent visits Facebook. Which is about once every few months. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, however, uh, I, I do bounce around on the Facebooks at the Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and Facebook group. Uh, you can go to our website, wtts.space, Space. and check out all of the stuff that's there. Um, not a whole lot that's there, that, but it's still cool. And the coolest part about the website, if I say so myself mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. is that it has the Discord link on it. Yeah, that's actually the hot. That, that's the hot hotness. That's the hot hotness. And... The Discords is where Brent and I are most readily available. Uh, if you want to talk to us, um, he's, I'm, I don't remember what our login names are, our tags names. Well, but the, it, the, the, the usernames are different than us- the handles that we have in there. I'm Brent the Unsociable. Yes, and, and I'm Zach the Hardly Ever On or something yes. like that. Yes, yes, uh, And But, uh, you know, our... Executive quasi producer David yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is almost always on, and there are several other folks that are in the Discord. Oh yeah, away. there's, there's uh, a lot, there's of, a lot chatter of that buzz there. that's happening there. So that's yep. kind of the place to be uh, if you want to talk about things. Um, just a quick teaser for you all: this summer, uh, the schedule is going to be a little bit weird um, because Brent and I both are super duper busy. Yep, um, and the place to get as up-to-the-minute information on what's happening with the podcast will be on the discords. Yep. So, That's right. Uh, and then, of course, as Brent mentioned, you can go to patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate and support the podcast there. Uh, we've got gate joggers and gate sprinters and gate marathoners, and you get ones, threes, and five votes a month to rewatch stuff. Uh, I will be sending some stuff out here soon on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one of the things that we will do this summer is catch up on some of our Stargate second chances yep. that uh, we are falling behind a little bit on. Uh, but that's all happening. Um, you can join us and have fun with all of those things uh, because this is a podcast that's fun for us, and we hope that it's also fun for you yes. uh, to listen. So, Brent. Yes? Are you ready to talk about Inauguration? Yeah, I'm ready to talk about Inauguration. All right. Well, uh, Inauguration was directed by Peter F. West. Mm-hmm. He was also, not only was he the director for this episode, he was the director of Photography. For this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, he is a DP most of the time. That's what he does regularly. Um, but this episode, he also put on the directing hat. Yep. This is his third of three directing credits this season. He did Birthright and Grace mm-hmm. earlier in the season. Uh, the teleplay here is by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully. Mm-hmm. And you can go and you know find all of the various... Uh, excerpt teleplayers if you want to do that, but I didn't do that right here. So No, because they, they, they've done a lot. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, if you take all of the excerpts, the clips out of this oh, yeah. episode, you yeah. still have a lot to chew on. Yes. Um, so, uh, Joseph and Malazzi, Joseph and Malazzi. Joseph and Malazzi. <laughs> Joe and oh, Paul. Mal- yeah. 
Joe and Paul, this is their fifth of five writing credits. Writing credits wow. this season. <laughs> Good morning, Zach. <laughs> I might be able to get my tongue working. <laughs> red, yellow, leather. Wait, red, leather, yellow, leather. Well, red, leather, yellow, leather, red, leather, yellow, leather. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is their fifth of five writing credits this season. Uh-huh. They did Homecoming Revisions, Avenger 2.0, and Fallout. Mm-hmm. Um, we have several guest actors that we do need to talk about for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll start with Robert Picardo, who uh, makes a return as Richard Woolsey. We saw him just a few episodes ago in yep. Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Ronnie Cox returning yep. this time as Vice President Robert Kinsey. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of his glory. We say hello to President Henry Hayes, played mm-hmm. by William Devane. Uh, William was born in Albany, New York in 1939. His father, apparently, Joseph was his name, was apparently a chauffeur for Franklin Delano Roosevelt when Roosevelt was governor of New York. Ah, okay. Nice. That's kind of neat. He graduated from New uh, New York City's American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Mm -hmm. Uh, He made his Broadway debut in the show The Watering Place with Shirley Knight. It was a flop. And lasted one performance. Oh, oh, that is... Wow. You know, I've often wondered if... I mean, like, what... How... So, you know, the the scenario of the producers notwithstanding. um, Like, how does a show go from conception to pitch to getting producers to getting investment, getting a place, getting a space... Getting cast, going through the whole thing, directing it, like going through it, going through it, going through it, going through it. And then finally opening night and you run it and it's so what happens? Is it so bad that people walk out halfway through? Is it like, yeah, (laughs) I, 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 that it happens. Okay. Yeah. But there, there are checks and balances in the system. That's kind of what I'm getting at. (laughs) Like, how many people have to go, sure, this will work, (laughs) only to have the general populace go, no, it really doesn't, so badly that you don't run a second night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose, you know, there there are some places that are specifically designed, but mostly that's off-Broadway, right? Mm -hmm. The off-Broadway and the off-off-Broadway is the places where the avant-garde things are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that, like, well, we're going to throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. And if it does, then, you know, it eventually, potentially... Uh, moves moves up, and uh, if it's really successful, getting to Broadway. How do you get to the Broadway spot without that happening? I yeah, suppose I maybe in the 1960s, Broadway worked differently than it. I did mean, now? it could be, and it also could be that that you know it was being like, like there were names attached to it where everyone was like, "This will work. This will work. It's got so and so," and you know, yeah, nobody cares if it if it's got so and so and it stinks. That's true. Um, who knows? However. So despite the fact that the watering place failed miserably, he was much more successful uh, in 1970 with the Chinese and Dr. Fish during mm-hmm. the 1970 season, which lasted three weeks. Okay. Okay. That's, that's better. Um, and then he did direct something on Broadway, finally. In 1979, he directed uh, G.R. Point, 
which is a Vietnam War drama, and that lasted a whopping 32 performances. <laughs> Getting better. <laughs> I guess the point here is don't get discouraged, kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I've directed a couple of things for the community theater, and none of them lasted, lasted 32 performances. Now, none of them were designed to last That's 32 performances. right, right. There was community theater. It's like... Y'all have regular jobs. This is their job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, Devane made his movie debut as a revolutionary in the independently produced In the Country in 1967, and then began appearing on TV series and the like. Mm -hmm. uh, his reputation took off when he played... Uh, so my note said John F. Kennedy. When they were talking in the commentary, they said Robert Kennedy. Uh, so oh. I don't know for sure which one it is. But he played one of the Kennedys in The Missiles of October back in 1974, mm. uh, which was a telefilm about the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, sometimes I have to sort of remember, like, the context of things. That would be basically like a movie about an event of 2012 coming out right now. Like, that's that's how close that was in time yeah 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 or maybe like 2010 or something but the point is like it was like it was right there and sometimes it, it, i forget yeah, that right that, so yeah yeah um he did have some major roles in alfred hitchcock's family plot in john uh schlesinger's marathon man hmm. as well as the bad news bears in breaking training and others yeah he's actually had a long career um now his uh, movie career apparently tanked in 1981 with the film Honky Tonk Freeway. Mm -hmm. This was a comedy that uh, cost $24 million to make, to produce, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and made a whopping $2 million. Whoa, ho, ho. whoa, ho. woof. <laughs> yeah, that did not, that, that investment that did, did not return. not go well. No. Um, now, he moved over to nighttime TV series at that point in time, uh, and he played uh, Greg Sumner on the soap opera Knott's Landing mm -hmm. for 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of his resemblance to Kennedy and his ability to master a Kennedy-esque Boston accent, Devane continues to be in demand as politicians, including presidents, in such shows as The West Wing, 24, yeah. and our very own Stargate SG-1. Yep. Yep. Uh, his very first IMDb credit was a TV series Directions in 1967. Mm -hmm. He played Boyfriend oh. in the episode Women, Woman of the World. Oh, okay. All right. Nice. So, there you go. Uh, we do say hello to James McDaniel, who plays General Francis Maynard. Mm-hmm. Uh, James McDaniel was born in Washington, D.C. in 1958, and he played uh, the actor uh, Lieutenant Arthur Fancy in the TV series NYPD Blue mm -hmm. for seven seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, he's done a lot of stuff on stage and on screen and on television and such. Uh, he's been in films such as War Eagle, Arkansas, Living Hell, and El Cortez. Mm-hmm. Uh, he received an Emmy and a Peabody Award for his performance in Edge of America mm. and an Emmy Award nomination for public television's Storytime. Mm -hmm. So, there you go. Mm -hmm. uh, he won the prestigious Obie Award 
which is a stage actor award, and was nominated for a Drama Desk Award for his portrayal of Wendell in the New York stage production of Before It Hits Home. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just been in a whole lot of host things. Now, his first IMDb credit uh, was also a soap opera. He played Mickey in 1984 in an episode of All My Children. Ah, okay. Uh, and then, finally, one more name just to toss out there. Um, Jerry Wasserman. He's the chief of staff aide that's walking with the president yes. at the very beginning. Yes, We've actually seen him in Stargate before. He played Whitlow in the episode Touchstone in season two. Oh, okay. Uh, do you remember Whitlow? No. So, uh, he's the guy that... Uh, so, they're looking for the Touchstone, right? right. And And Hammond has, like, one more... Uh, marker to pull in to find out and he goes and he talks to this guy out in the park and they wander around and yes that's that's whitlow yeah that was played by jerry wasserman yes yes you say hello to him again yeah that's fun yeah all right so this episode originally aired on march 5 2004 in the u.s and february 24 in the uk mm-hmm. number one on the charts in the u.s they were still listening to usher featuring little john and Ludacris singing mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 i have no idea if that's how that goes but yeah, yeah. anyway uh in the uk they were listening to <laughs> mysterious girl by peter andre <laughs> i gotta tell you the uk number ones they're like all over the place <laughs> They are all over the place, so I have no idea. It's playing. It's playing now. It's got to be it. But also, like, it seems that, like, the UK is much more interested in buying the singles of, um, of talent show <laughs> shows, television shows, than the yeah. US is. Yeah. Like, it's be. like every one of these people are, like, competitors and, like, you know, Britain's Got Talent or something, and they're, and so, like... They're, they're, people are buying their singles <laughs> and they're all the same they're all just like super high tenors crooning because it's easy to sing like this apparently oh, only if you could actually sing like that this is the yeah, problem with, with a lot of pop music for like decades and decades is that most of them are high tenors and most of us can't actually sing high tenor no and so we're all singing in our car and we're like we sound croaking along yeah exactly. yeah yeah so um now as we listen to mysterious girl mm-hmm. uh we have to look at the box office mm-hmm. the box office the first one is the passion of christ and if we had to find a mysterious girl in the passion of christ i suppose it would have to be mary magdalene i suppose i mean that's that's not really very fair to her but maybe uh, the number two is Starsky and Hutch, and I don't have any idea enough about that to know, but I'm sure there's a mysterious girl in Starsky and Hutch. There's probably one, yes. All right. Hidalgo is number three, yeah. and while I know that Hidalgo has uh, Vigo Mortensen, yeah. who was also Aragorn, I'm sure... Now, the mysterious girl in uh, Lord of the Rings has got to be uh, Arwen, uh, but but we're not talking about that. We're talking about Hidalgo, but there's a mysterious girl there, too. Mm-hmm. And 50 First Dates, clearly... The, the one that sticks is the mysterious girl. Oh, uh, yeah. Know, yeah. You know, and Twisted? Who knows? I have nothing idea, but I don't. I, I know more about Twister than I do about Twisted. I don't know really <laughs> about Twister, but... Uh, and, and it's probably Twisted because she is a mysterious girl. I oh, got there nothing. we go. Okay. All right. Yep. That, 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 that's, that, that, you, you, you've done it. 
I got through it. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Julie's going, yeah, no, you've done better, but that's okay. That's all right. Like, you know, you you, you work with the material you're given. I I, I work with what I got, and... That performance um, is only one going to run one show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, too true. Too true. It just gets played over and over and over again. (laughs) Somebody recorded it. Who did that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, so what was happening in early March 2004? Well, the war in Iraq was going on Mm -hmm. in uh, March 2004. Al-Qaeda carries out the uh, Ashura massacre in Iraq, killing Mm. 170 people Mm. and wounding over... 500. Jeez Louise. Yeah. yeah. Um, on, also on March 2nd, uh, the Rosetta space probe is launched by the European Space Agency to study mm-hmm. Comet 67P. And I'm not going to try to pronounce that name. There's uh, a name. Cheruvmov uh, Gerasimenko. There you go. Yeah. Cheruvmov Gerasimenko. Uh, uh, with the fillet lander module aboard. Yep. So, uh, do you remember that? Oh yeah. Then I mean, not the launch, but I do remember when uh, when the little lander thing landed on the comet. That was that comet that looked like uh, kind of like a, almost like a peanut, as in like it got two it had two big blobs kind of stuck together. Hmm. Okay. And the and the lander went down, and something happened with the lander. It like bounced in a way that people weren't expecting, and uh, I think it like landed on its side. I think or something. Oh. The, it, it, it all worked out fine because it was a, there was a ton of really good science and so many really good images that came out of it. But yes. Okay. Um. Also on March second, Indianapolis Colts signed quarterback Peyton Manning to a seven-year deal worth ninety-eight million dollars, mm-hmm. with a thirty-four point five million dollars signing bonus. And at the time, it was the largest uh, contract. To date in yeah. the NFL at the time, it was the largest one. Now uh, we've blown past that. You've got uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes signing a ten-year, five hundred million dollar yeah. uh, contract uh, with the the Chiefs a year ago or so. So yeah, and you know, like you know, even adjusted for inflation, like that signing bonus would be about fifty million in today's dollars. So that yeah. deal would have been about. Oh, what a hundred and thirty million? Yeah, something seven like that. year deal, and 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 Mahomes just signed a ten year five hundred million dollar deal. About fifty million a year. Yeah, that's that that, that that's not adjusted for inflation anymore. <laughs> no, no, um, that that's because the NFL is a monetary juggernaut. Yeah, for good or for ill. Yeah, it's what it is. Uh, um, my my basic. Uh, thought on that is while I think these contracts are ridiculously large, uh, I think it is important that if if the machine that is the NFL is going to be making hundreds of billions of dollars, yeah, then the contracts for these players should be also ridiculously large, yes, because they are the ones that we are actually watching. Yes, we're not watching. The owners, we're not no. watching the executives, uh, we're watching the players. And yep. so they should get a large and significant chunk of that pie. And 
while they're getting large numbers, I strongly suspect they're not getting a, an actual amalgam of a significant chunk of that. Pie. Yeah, right. But, uh, you know, there you go. There you go. Um, a few days later, on March 8, a new constitution is signed by Iraq's governing council after the invasion and occupation by American-led forces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are totally, totally not about uh, nation building. No, no, no. They do it. They, they, they've done it themselves. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, 100%. Here you go. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, I do have some trivia for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the Oval Office set was used that was used in this episode. Yeah. Uh, hint: It will actually be used in the next week's episode as well. Oh, okay. Um, that there you go. And I just spoiled something. Oh boy. Okay. Well, then I guess I, I guess I should amend the strange new world part. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, this is the same Oval Office set that was used in the motion picture X Two X Men United. I uh, about was a year wondering. Um, nope. Yeah. So, like, you know, when when I was watching the episode. And, you know, it's got a set of the Oval Office. And I'm sitting here like, they didn't build a set of the Oval Office just for one episode. Um, they got to be using somebody else's. And so I was kind of wondering, like, are they using West Wings or are they using something? You know what I mean? Like, I was just kind of pondering yeah. whose yep. who's set were they using? Guess the answer was X-Men's. Yep. Um, interestingly, so, like, this set is, like, in a big giant warehouse. Yeah. And, like, the outside is just painted backdrops. Um. And so, like, occasionally you can look out I the see. window, yeah. and and the trees and the, the scenery that you see out there, it's not actual real trees and scenery. It's just a painted backdrop. Yep, yep. Um, now, you may have noticed that none of our main cast members, except for one small scene with George Hammond, actually appear in this episode. Yes, I did notice. With the exception of the, the clips and whatnot. That's right. This is only the second time that our main team, uh, and it's the only, uh, it's... The second of two episodes where none of SG-1 are featured. Yeah. Uh, the other one was in season six, another clip show, Disclosure. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the episodes that was featured in this episode. A clip well. show was featured in a clip show. Believe yeah. me, I noticed. So, um, let's see here. We have clips in this episode from the following episodes of Stargate. The Fifth Race, Maternal Instinct, Chain Reaction... Upgrades, Entity, Enemies, Meridian, Sight Unseen, Smoke and Mirrors, Paradise Lost, Disclosure, Full Circle, Fallen, Evolution Part 1, and Evolution Part 2. Yep. All of those um, were in this episode here or there. And according to the DVD commentary, uh, Henry Hayes removes his shoes... Uh, because William Devane like prefers to film in with without wearing shoes. Hmm. So that scene when he's like, "Let me take off my shoes and just kind of relax my toes," which actually totally makes sense, honestly. Um, you know, from a, a certain point of view, um, was done because William Devane liked to not have shoes. Yeah, and he wanted to feel how plush that carpet was. That absolutely. Was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this episode is called Inauguration in English. Uh, the Italians also call it Inauguration. So do the Czechs and so do the Hungarians. Mm -hmm. uh, the French call it Power Struggle. Oh, okay. The yeah. Spanish call it Taking Possession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the Germans mm -hmm. call it The New President. Uh, okay, okay. So, 
There you go. None of, none of them giving too much away. That's that's good. Nope. 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 You know, you can't even say the new president gives much away because you literally see him in the first shot. Yes. Well, second <laughs> shot. They have an establishing shot, and then you see him. Yes, that's right. Oh, here's another little tidbit. So, like that hallway that they're in is yeah. only about thirty feet long. Yeah. And the script says they're walking through this hallway to get to the Oval Office while they're doing all of this talking. Yes. And Peter West was like, how do you do this? They're going to have to walk up and down that hallway like five times. Yes. To get all that dialogue in there. But uh, William Devane kind of gives them a new way of doing it by stopping every few steps and looking at something. Yeah. So, like, the shot of him looking at John F. Kennedy's bust and looking in the mirror and doing all this while this conversation is going on is a lot to do with Devane bringing himself into this character and and bringing his thoughts into who this character should be. Yeah. Uh, and it made for a much inter- more interesting walk down the hall than 30 feet of, you Just know, turn around. Stamping and- down the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, there you go. Very um, good. Are you ready, Brent, for the synopsis of Inauguration? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, here we go. We're in Washington, D.C. On his first day as President of the United States, Henry Hayes walks through the halls of the White House on the way to the Oval Office. He is followed by an aide talking to him about some ex-president of Togo and other current events, I guess, doesn't really matter. He's blobbling. Uh, Anyway, the president pays more attention to the decor of the hallway than anything else, soaking in the reality that he's president of the United States. Dum bum ba dum bum ba dum ba. Sorry. Hayes gets to the Oval Office and he walks in and he's met there by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Francis Maynard. The general has some important information for the president on a top secret program. Apparently a program so top secret, it's not even in the top secret review the president typically receives. <laughs> well, then it's not really top. Now, is it? <laughs> it's it's. But the other stuff isn't top secret. That's my <laughs> point. So, like, there are... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> this, this is beyond top. Beyond this, top. This blows <laughs> the top. This is... Carry <laughs> on. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so the president wants to soak in the reality, revel in this moment, even taking his shoes off and digging his toes into the carpet. The general looks at him and flatly tells him, the moment's over. He goes on informing the commander-in-chief that the United States Air Force has been running a program out of Cheyenne Mountain for the past seven years where they go to other planets and save the galaxy from alien bad guys using another alien device known as a Stargate. Mm-hmm. That's our gate. No, Mr. President, this is not a joke. Not long after, Hayes angrily storms into the office of Vice President Kinsey. And boy, oh boy, are we taking a huge breath of relief. No, thinking, because we all thought that Kinsey was going to be president, and now we know that it's Hayes and not Kinsey. Yes. And we're like, yes. whew, it's not that Woo. big fat jerk. Unfortunately, the big fat jerk is still uh, uh, there. Uh, so yeah. we have to deal with him some more. But but he's, at least he's not president. So this is a good thing, right? Uh, yes. Anyway, Hayes says, why didn't you tell me about the Stargate? 
Kinsey was prepared for this moment and begins laying out his major grievances with the staff of the SGC. The whole program simply needs to change, and I'm the one that needs to do it. I mean, I mean, you're the one that needs to do it for me. <laughs> oh. The president needs to get up to speed on this new revelation, this top, over-the-top secret program. That evening, he begins the process of, of, of absorbing the files and, record, and rec- records the files and records of the Stargate program. While he's doing this, he is also listening to General Maynard. Maynard warns that Kinsey's complaints are politically motivated. The VP wants control of the program and has attempted in the past to get that control several times. This is a problem. Mm -hmm. Soon after, Kinsey invites Richard Woolsey, yes, we've met him before, to give a special report on the shortcomings of the SGC to the president. Hayes invites General Maynard to be part of the meeting. The general wonders why General Hammond isn't in this room if we're going to talk about his command. But Woolsey immediately cites Hammond as one of the problems. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the scene, and over the course of a couple of scenes, in fact, Woolsey describes the various examples of problems within the SGC and their top team, SG-1, including insubordination, alien taking, aliens taking over their minds, death, uh, back aliveness, disaster spilling into the general public, being Stopped, you know, fraternization and Mm -hmm. more. We can all read between the lines, Mr. President. Sure. With Woolsey and Kinsey on one side and General Maynard on the other, Hayes genuinely wants to understand what's going on and make a fair assessment of the situation to figure out what to do next. Perhaps the president will not be swayed by the power of the vice president. We can only hope. Mm Mm-hmm. In a private meeting, Kinsey presses his position on the president. But in his own show of strength, Hayes quite clearly and forcefully reminds Kinsey who is president and who is not. Mm-hmm. Kinsey does not like that at all. In a private meeting between Woolsey and Kinsey, Kinsey thanks him for his work and his presentation. Woolsey seems more dejected and less convinced the cards are going to fall their way. However, Kinsey assures him that the president will see things his way, and if he doesn't, well, things happen. Things. What kind of things? I don't want to spell out the things, but mm-hmm. you, just, you know and I know that things can happen. Oh, things, things, are, things are happening right now. Things are happening right now. Oh, my. Okay, so we don't want the things to happen, but well, the things I are going to happen. I mean, Woolsey begins to wonder if he's chosen the right side of this fight. And whether Kinsey's connection to the rogue side of the NID might be tighter than originally thought. Mm-hmm. Later, Maynard gets his opportunity to tell the president about a giant threat on the horizon, Anubis. But the SGC and, his, and Hammond's team, they're close to finding the lost city. And if they can do that, they have a chance to beat Anubis. Mm-hmm. Please, Mr. President, please let these men and women do their job and find the lost city and save the planet one more time. Hayes is a savvy politician, and he needs to decide carefully how to proceed. Kinsey may be a jerk, but he's a jerk that has a lot of power. As the story continues, Woolsey secretly meets with General Maynard. He reveals his suspicions concerning the vice president. He believes that Kinsey may still be in bed with the rogue NID that tried to kill him a couple years back. 
kill Kinsey a couple years back. Maynard tells Woolsey that he needs to go searching for the evidence if he thinks there is evidence out there to be found. Mm-hmm. So Woolsey puts on his hat and he goes in search of evidence. It's a proverbial hat, by the way. I'm sure it's a very smart looking uh, fedora uh, yes yeah Woolsey takes a trip to Colorado and visits our very own General George Hammond yes he reveals that he's figured out that Hammond clearly has something on Kinsey you know that whole retiring and then not being retired thing a few years back and he wonders what it is Hammond is not convinced that Woolsey is the right person to trust, but seems to think that maybe this is the time to release the information he has on Kinsey. And so he hands Woolsey a three and a half inch floppy disk. Okay, for you uh, listeners out there who may be of a certain age, a three and a half inch floppy disk, A, is not floppy. B, it holds less than a meg and a half of data. Yes. It's kind of like a CD-ROM. Oh, Wait, wait, no. It's kind of like a flash drive. (laughs) (laughs) Only orders of magnitude smaller in terms of capacity. Yes. uh, And orders of magnitude larger in terms of space. Yes. It's called a floppy because before the three and a half inch floppy, there was a five and a quarter. And actually before that, there was what, an eight inch? Uh, And those were discs. That were actually floppy, and they would... Well, yes, and. Yes, and. Inside the uh, three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk, what we're talking about is that the magnetic platter in there is still floppy. That's true. But the disk got its name floppy because the whole thing in the previous iterations were floppy. The three-and-a-half-inch floppy was a major upgrade in technology because then the thing wasn't actually floppy, and it was much more robust, and you could hold on to it uh, much safer and not damage the information inside it. Unless you played with the gate too much. Unless you played with the gate. So, like, see this thing? This goes slides over, and then you can see the magnetic disk on the inside. Don't do that. (laughs) So, of course we did it. (laughs) Of course. I remember distinctly way back in middle school, right? (laughs) And and, and the three and a half inch floppy, we were in the the computer lab. This is like before the the era of computers in all classrooms, like everywhere. Yes. Yes. This was even before the idea of a ubiquitous home computer. No, yeah. That's not to say they, they, they existed. They were there. But my family didn't even get a computer until after this event. So, yes. um, so we were in the computer lab, and the teacher of the computer lab said, here's a three-and-a-half-inch floppy, and she told us all about it, that you could touch it here and here, because, you know, in, middle, in elementary school, they told us about the five-and-a-quarter-inch floppies. Yes. Anyway, this is way off topic. In any case. Yes, it is. <laughs> but it's fun. At least it is to me. Yes. Woolsey goes back to the president. <laughs> that was your story? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you you expected me to have a point? Yes, I did. <laughs> I okay, was just on. following a rabbit trail, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, delightful. And and there are going to be listeners who will find that delightful, and there I'm are others who sure. will not. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and for those of you who don't, I'm so terribly sorry. Yeah, that's okay. We'll get we'll get back to the point. 
right. Wolsey goes back to the president and relays some of the information that he's learned. Kinsey is clearly still in bed with the rogue NID run by a cabal of businessmen wanting to use alien technology for financial gain and perhaps more. Wolsey just hopes that history will remember him as a man who has tried to do the right thing. Ominously, President Hayes asks, whose version of history? Yeah. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Inauguration. Uh-huh. What'd you think? I gotta tell you, I think this is the best clip show I've ever seen. Now, why do I go. so enthusiastically jump right in and say that? Well, because there were like three things that were kind of going through my head as I was watching it. One was being charmed with how... um how this was like a 43 minute version of previously on Stargate. And so, and, and not done in a bad way. Like they're setting, I mean, obviously they're setting something up, but in order to set it up, what they're doing is that they're pulling in threads from story from all these previous episodes. So this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this it's under the guise of evaluating the fitness of command of Hammond and Stargate S, you know, an SG one within the SGC, uh, maybe amongst others. Um, but what it's, what it's really doing is that it's reminding us of all these things. Now, there was only one clip that I didn't like, just remember, like, you know, as they were talking about this event and that event and that event, I'm sitting there like, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. And then the clips were like, yep, there's that, there's that, there's that only the one where Hammond held the gate open a little long <clears throat> while the gate room is taking fire was the one I was like, I don't remember that one. Oh, that, um, that's actually in the episode, pardon, um, when when he is, he unexpectedly retires. Oh, it's that one. Uh, it's at the very, very beginning of that episode, and he uses that as his excuse to retire. He's too, you know, he, he can't send good people to, to do all of this anymore. Sure. And so, he, you know. Right, right. But anyway. But everything else, though, I was recalling, but it was still just really well done in bringing the important elements of the important. How best to say this? I don't think that every single element was viewed as important to this moment when it was written, but it's really cleverly brought back and reintegrated into the next chapter of our story. So I'm pretty happy about that. Mm -hmm. I thought they did a quite a good job on that. Also, there was an awful lot of new um, you know, this thing was about half new content for being a clip show, um, maybe more. Maybe and more. yeah. And so, you know, it's it, it is a clip show, but it's not really a clip show. Um, I think that while it would have been boring to watch them just sit around uh, couches talking about it, that, you know, versus showing the clips of the of the action itself, like it, 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 it could have been done. There was mm -hmm. that much new stuff in here. Um uh, it wouldn't have been a good episode. I wouldn't have liked it at all. But I'm just acknowledging, like, they, they wrote an episode here um, and brought in elements from previous shows in order to, to sort of tie it together. So I thought that was really quite well done. But then there was the real big one that I really actually enjoyed kind of chewing on. And it was, um, it was when Woolsey was making his case at first about the need for, uh, you know, changing things up at the SGC because of all of these um, potential failures that they keep pointing to. They keep pointing over and over and over again of, yes, they they succeeded this time, but this is not the right way to run a thing. And um, I found myself, uh, you know, 
recalling all of our conversations in the past where I kind of got a little bit grumpy about how people in SG-1 were handling certain things. Like they were too cavalier. They were too um, uh, irresponsible with certain things. They were, um, uh, you know, taking unnecessary risks or maybe that wasn't a big one. But, you know, like I, I remember that I had been vocal about looking at some of the things and being like, that's not how you're supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and here those criticisms are coming to bear in the story itself with the audit that, that Woolsey performs. And uh, it got me thinking about this very interesting um, narrative aspect, which I think creates friction when it shouldn't. And that is that we are watching a story about heroes. And you've heard me say, I don't know how many times, that strangely good things happen to heroes. That's the point. That's why right. they're heroes. Yep. And uh, it's it's an established element of heroic story that these people aren't people, they're heroes. There's a difference. And Woolsey is making a very cogent case for policies and procedures that protect people because that's that's important. That's something that we need to do. Whenever you get grumpy that what you're doing with your work is spending too much time with your documentation for your policies and procedures, what's actually happening is that you've drank the Kool-Aid that says that your work is actually like the thing that you're supposed to do. And you're missing the point that you could get struck by a bolt of lightning and then how's the work going to keep going? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like documentation is actually extremely important because we're people. People make mistakes. People fall ill. People die. People win the lottery. People like things happen to people. Things don't happen to heroes, right? Heroes, heroes make it. Heroes uh, carve away out of nothing. Heroes aren't real. And so we're watching an epic about heroes. And that's great. That's why we're here. And we love it when our heroes have elements of our own humanity. That's what makes them relatable. Um, these things are also just common aspects of storytelling. This is, this is important. But um, we, it, 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 the friction is you can't expect heroes to follow a policy manual (laughs) like that doesn't work Uh, because then you're then then they're reduced to people now there's plenty there's there's bountiful wonderful stories about people being people but now we're no longer in the epic now we're in other types of storytelling um so so i was feeling that friction now i think that the episode resolved that one fairly well by having Woolsey's desire for policies and procedures actually be a springboard into his suspicion of allegiances and to use that uh that uh talent that he has for the work that he does in a way that that uh helps our heroes or at least looks like it's going to help our heroes so it's it wasn't actually trying to make the case of like um hey let's introduce this friction into our universe where uh, where civilian oversight is demanding for policy and our heroes are, are bucking it. Um, I think that it was using it kind of skillfully to say, this is a reasonable thing to ask, but uh, the people that would create that thing are also the kind of really keen individuals that would, uh, and altruistic individuals, the best of them, who um, didn't pick a side. You know, like when Kinsey said, you pick the right side and Woolsey's eyebrows furrow a little bit, I was right there with him. It's like, he didn't pick any side. He's just doing his job. And his job indicated that Kinsey was more correct than not. So he did his job. 
Um, but he's not picking sides. If the job now shows that Kinsey is a is a is a liability, it is his responsibility to report that and to and to hopefully see that action is taken as a result. Like I'm I, I'm so in Camp Woolsey right now, it's ridiculous. Like he and I are buddies. He and I we we <laughs> can sit down we can sit down over a nice sensible beverage of of bubbly water and talk about uh, policy documentation and just be like, oh man, isn't it great? Oh, everybody hates it at first, but when it's done and a problem happens and you can flip to the page and now you know what to do, it's the best thing ever. Oh, so yeah, he and I are buds. Um, but it was a it was a, it was an interesting thing to be thinking about in the in the in the process of the episode itself. And we haven't even really gotten into the meat of what this episode was about, which was the springboard into finding the lost city. Um, uh, it, it, you know, it's been a thing that's been alluded to all this time. Zach, as you and I have been talking about the production of this particular television show, um, right? The 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 mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. cancellation on the horizon and the movie and the new television show Atlantis about to happen. So all this stuff is starting, kind of starting to come together. And um, you know, yeah, I know and you know that there's going to be a seasons eight, nine, and ten. But you know, and maybe they did at this point too. But it doesn't matter. Um, like. We're in they the definitely spot now. knew at this point in time that they were going. To, at this point, when this episode was aired, they knew even when they they had to know when they filmed this episode that they would have a season eight at this point in time. Well, because you told me that the next story is basically the movie. Uh, yeah, they took the 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 script of the movie um, that they were working with. Yeah, and they turned it into the season finale here. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, they, they, they knew no movie, another season, but they're still going to keep moving this thing forward in this, in this vein. And that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've, I've been a little bit frustrated that this season we've seen Anubis like twice. Um, and we've seen his effects maybe four or five more times since, but, um, like he's, he's the thing that matters. <laughs> Like, yeah, like he's he's the thing that matters. We've had a lot of fun stories along the way, but he's the thing that matters. And um, I'm excited to be to, to be moving that story forward, um, you know, hopefully in a way that's satisfying. And uh, yeah, so I really did enjoy this one quite a lot. And and yeah, it was a clip show, but it didn't feel like one at all. Then um, again, it's probably because it had a whole lot of new content made for the show itself. And it brought in the clips as a way to show what they were talking about. And not as a way to literally fill up time. Right. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a lot. So what about you? What do you think about this one? Yeah, so I enjoy this one as well. I think you're, you're spot on is that this has a legit story. Uh, and that if you took all of the clips out and just had that as a story, uh, it would work. It yeah. might be a little bit more boring because oh, it be, would be people sitting around yes, an office talking. It would be very boring, but it would still be a story. But it would still be a legit story. There, right? And and they actually do a good job of moving around from location to location to different offices, different lightings, different yeah. times of day uh, as the story develops. Um, and, and if they didn't make this a clip show, they would add a little bit more to it, sure. Yeah. But, um, but you know, the, the purpose of writing this was to save some money, um, right? Yep. And to be a springboard for what's coming next. Uh, and it does that. It does that well. And it writes a good story to that, such that the clips are used 
in service of uh, the story that's being told, not um, the other way around. Yes. Right? Right. Um, Like, I'm thinking about one of the worst clip shows ever, uh, Shades of Grey, season two, Star Trek, The Next Generation. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that had a bunch of that had a story ish, uh, whose sole purpose was so that they could use these other clips for things. Yeah, and they frankly didn't have enough material to make it work well, and they just had a boring story. And to that, you know, this wasn't that. Yeah, this had a legit story to it, uh, and it makes it work. Um, and this has been the modus operandi of most of the clip shows for SG One. Which is why I say, instead of the very beginning, is that SG-1 does clip shows differently than other yeah. places. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, they're still clip shows, but they're better. Um, and this is really, really quite good. Now, you talked about Woolsey, and I think that they do a brilliant job with Woolsey. Right? He's mm-hmm. introduced in Heroes, and he is introduced as an antagonist. Yeah. But one of the things that is kind of tossed out that in an episode is that, like, who is this Woolsey? This is, well, he's a straight shooter. Yeah. And, of course, all we see is the antagonistic side of things. Um, he has a legitimate perspective that oversight is necessary. And he holds on to that, right? Oh, yeah. Civilian oversight of top secret military organizations is necessary. Mm-hmm. And we need to be asking the questions are what they doing proper, you know, should yeah. these things actually be done? Yeah. And frankly, these are legit questions. Yep. Now, we as an audience member who is supposed to be rooting for our heroes and recognizing that they're heroes, they're not ordinary people, and Kinsey, or not Kinsey, uh, Woolsey is talking about them as if they're ordinary people. Yes. But they're not ordinary people, they're heroes. Right. But of course, he has to do that because that's who he is and he's inside. That's the, right. You know, all that stuff. Um, but, you know, his argument makes sense. Um but we kind of root against him, at least I did, in Heroes, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we knew that he was working for Kinsey. Right. And even in this episode, at the very beginning when we see him, we're not rooting for him, because we know he's working for Kinsey. Right. And we all know that, you know, even if we could step back and say, okay, well, maybe we should have some oversight of this thing, blah, blah, blah. We're like, he's working for Kinsey. Kinsey's not the oversight we want. Right. We don't right. want Kinsey to be the guy in charge of oversight of right. this. Um, but then you take this character, and then in one scene, and uh, hats off to Ronnie Cox, because he's the one that sells it. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He sits yeah. there, and he yeah. basically says, look, if he doesn't play ball, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. You've backed the right horse, because I'm going to win this, regardless of what happens. Yeah. Um. And and in that scene, uh, and and Robert Picardo does it well, right? The, the interaction with those—that oh, yeah. that is a brilliant scene because yeah. all of a sudden, that moment, you're like, "My goodness, I, I couldn't root for Woolsey before, and I may not necessarily support everything he says moving forward, but he's no longer uh, a bad guy. Right. He, he's no longer an antagonist. An, an antagonist. Mm-hmm. He might be. He might not be a protagonist. Right. But he's not the antagonist. Uh, and, and just that one scene in this just totally changes who this character is. And then we see it move forward from there. And I think it's done brilliantly. Um, I like that Hayes in this episode um, is a brand new president. And 
you know, kind of he he kind of has this jovial, you know, goofy kind of quasi goofy quality early on, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, let me just soak this in. I'm president, right? Yes. He takes his shoes off, all yes. of this stuff, and you're like, oh my goodness. And then when you see Kinsey, you're like, oh my gosh, Kinsey's gonna walk all over this guy. And then you see that one scene where where Hayes says, dude, I'm president. You're not. Shut up. Go away. Yep. Uh, and you're like, okay, so this guy's got teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, okay, so you see this transition, and it just you you. When as I watch this, I'm like, oh, okay, so things are going to be different. But you know, he's giving them a chance. He's going to talk to them. You know, he's okay. We're good. We're good. Um, I, I, I like that about this episode. Uh, and then of course, uh, it it reintroduces. Uh, the idea of the lost city it reintroduces uh, Anubis as the big bad guy that needs to be dealt with all of this stuff um, you know some of that is a little bit hokey it, you know I mean it's like okay fine you know the the whole speech let these guys do this one last thing yeah yeah let that's them fair. and I'm like uh, you know I'm rooting for you Maynard and you didn't convince me <laughs> Right, that one felt that that line felt more like this series is about to end. Let them do it one more time, rather than this planet is in jeopardy again. One more time, let them do it. Right, like well, it, it's just I mean, even yes, all of that, but also internally, there's this idea that, um, you know. They're so close to getting, you know, like, we're so close to transporter technology. We're yes. so close to warp drive. We're so yes. close. To, just give them the chance to finish it. And I'm like, that is an argument filled with straw. Yes. Yes. I mean. Yeah. Anything I mean, it's an emotional argument. It's an yeah. emotional argument. But outside of the emotion, there's nothing there. No, no. There's no evidence that, 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 that like, this is like it. There's there's evidence that this is worth exploring, that this is worth getting to, but like you they know. could get to the lost city and they could find that it's obliterated. They could get to right. the lost city and find that Anubis is there. They could get to the lost city and find that they misunderstood what it meant. Like, you know, I mean, making the argument in this situation that you know these are the people who actually have the experience, and you can't you know uh, underestimate that experience is really important. Uh to be able to do this mm-hmm. and that anybody else you put into there would be coming in so fresh that it would throw a significant wrench in this process. And these are the guys who are best qualified, even with their mistakes, to finish this up. Mm-hmm. That's an argument that begins to make sense. But that's not the argument that he made. Right, right. It's like, let them, they're so close, let them do this one last thing. And then if you want to clean house, then you can clean out. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but, you know, there you go. That That's that's fine. Um, you know, the, the idea of bringing back uh, the stuff from uh, Kinsey's past, right? That, that disc that was... Um, that was clever. That was clever. You know, it's like, that's one of those things that uh, you're glad back in the day that it was able to get, you know, Hammond reinstated and all of his stuff. And you know it's kind of there, but you, you stop thinking about it. Yep. Um, and then, you know, uh, Joe and Paul are able to expertly uh, bring that into the story in a way that actually um, makes sense and holds water and all yep. of that stuff. Yep. And it gives you a chance to show some clips 
about what that is so that you can remember that. That's right. And and as you said, this is an episode that, that gives you a chance to say, uh, it says it without saying it, something big is coming up and you need to be reminded of all of the key plot points up to this point. Yes. So let me tell you what these key plot points are. Yes. Yep. Now that you have that, let's go. It yep. does that very well. Yep. Um, I don't know. That might be all I have. I, I mean, I don't know there's a whole lot more to say. I mean, like, it, you know, at the end of the day, it is a clip show. At the end of the day, it is a previously on Stargate show that sets a lot of stuff up. And I thought it did a fine job. Well, it does. Yeah, it does. And, and it also connects the past and the future together yeah. in a very, very uh, good way. Not o- And this is interesting. It does it both internally and externally. Within the story itself, it connects the past and what's coming up in the future. Yeah. And externally for us as audience members who are watching this behind the fourth wall, it does that as well. And I think yep. that it does it quite quite well. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and it does it in a story that is is interesting to watch. And they've got great actors. The, the director, uh, and so the commentary was Peter West and Michael Greenberg, one of the executive producers, right? Mm-hmm. And they were talking, and they were saying, this is one of the best groups of actors they've ever had mm-hmm. and and i don't see that as hyperbole uh you know you've got robert picardo and and william devane and yeah. and ronnie cox yeah. and james mcdaniel yeah uh you know yeah you've got these great actors who do a great job and i i, I just want to point out that james mcdaniel has some white teeth yes Yes, Holy he does. <laughs> he smiles and he's got this perfectly straight, <laughs> white as a paper sheet yep. teeth, which, you know, is just, wow. Yep. Blinding. What? Blinding. Indeed. There you go. So, uh, that, that that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well. I think we're there. I think we're there. Uh, this episode, inauguration of President... Henry Hayes. Yeah. How many chevrons are you going to give President Hayes? President Hayes? Well, uh, how about the episode? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the, you know, at the end of the day, it is still a clip show. Um, I'm going to give it really high marks because it does a great, great, great job. But uh, if I rewatch this episode, there's no way I'm going to give it as many chevrons as I'm about to give it. Um, I think this is a six out of seven for me. Now, uh, again, a rewatch. It's going to be boring, 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 boring. It might be fun to watch the characters do their job a little bit. But as far as like the content is concerned, like I, I have now absorbed. I have it, my, the absorption of the content ha- is now complete. There's no there's nothing hiding in the content. There's no second watch realization. It's all in now, um, which is that's what it's supposed to do. But uh, for 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 what it was, it did it supremely well, supremely well. It used very few resources it it borrowed resources to 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 get to get the job done uh and it still produced 43 minutes of television that was captivating uh you know bonus points i guess for getting me to think about a uh larger question about um about uh workplace policy versus heroes um but you know all in this thing was supposed to set up the tensions that are to come and it did exactly that i can't fault it at all 
and the clips were were used appropriately and sparingly and and and, and exactly where they should have been. Six out of seven for me. So what about cool. you? Um. So. I mean, I've seen this many, many times, um, and this time around, I watched it, and I wasn't really surprised by anything, obviously. Right. Uh, I, I knew it. I was re-watching it again. Um, I'm not going to go six, but I will go five. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so, like, I still find this episode worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, like, if I were flipping through channels, and this is the Stargate episode that was on... I would stop and I'd watch it for a while. Sure. I mean, I don't know how long I would watch it. It's hard to say. Um, but it would be more than, oh, okay, it's it's inauguration. Oh, moving on. Yep. Right. Um, but I would sit there and, and, and kind of, uh, wa- because the, the characters and the actors do a great job of telling a story. And uh, so there you go. Five. Very good. All right. Oh, I need to, I, I'm, I, I'm not at Twitter. I need to you know, go to Twitter. We, we, we gotta do the Twitter, and, and the Facebook, and the Facebook. But I'll, I'll get twi- to the Facebook. Okay, and I'll get to the Twitter. There's the Twitter. Profile. And then there's the tweet. And then we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. He says hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. I predict that Brent will not make this clip show episode into a clip show. You are 100 percent correct. <laughs> Kevin says that's all I have to say here. So. <laughs> There you go. That was that was what it was on Twitter. Thank you very much, Kevin. There you go. All right. Well, we have Adrian on Facebook. Hi, Adrian. Adrian says, as far as clip shows go, this isn't too bad. Four all around. Yeah. I can see yeah. that. I can, oh, I can yeah, 100%. That. Yep. Uh, we have Jen. Hi, Jen. Who says, oh, a clip show. Yawns. Yes. Well, this is going to get boring. Let's skip ahead 42 minutes. <laughs> I was not bored. Not at all. I actually found inauguration to be quite captivating, despite being a clear setup for the two-part finale of season seven. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed following the new president's first footsteps as he starts his new position and is also introduced to the Stargate program. His character is somewhat likable, with him seeing right through Kinsey's agency and him also displaying some very human quirks, i.e. the shoes. Mm-hmm. For a clip show, this is actually a pretty decent episode, but... Since it is still a clip show, I can't give it more than four chevrons. Uh-huh. It is a well-deserved four chevrons, though. Brent and Zach are hard to predict with episodes like this, but <laughs> I say Zach will give it a four and a half chevrons, knowing Very the close. future, and Brent will give it a three oh. because of the same reasoning as me, but with a stricter rating. <laughs> very, very rational. <laughs> I, I guess I'm very arbitrary. You you are an agent of chaos. Yeah, I suppose I am. And which is fascinating because I, I tend to be more chaotic in a lot of ways than you. Well, it, it, I, I suppose I'm expressing my chaotic that that the chaotic element in this project. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Jen concludes. In the end, it is still a clip show, albeit a good one. Yeah. Fair we good. have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, "Hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. As far as clip shows go, this one is pretty decent." A mm-hmm. good setup for the finale, as it's been said before, even though no one likes a clip show, and no, Brent, this was not the last one. Ah, dang it. Um, think there's just one more. Good. I think there's just one more. I'm, well, at least, I can't remember if, uh, if Atlantis has any. I think there's only one more in SG-1. Anyway, that, that, anyway. Uh, as it's been said before, even though no one likes a clip show, and no, Brent, this is not the last one, Stargate does them better than most. 
I don't have much to say, but I did write down just a few things. One, was it just me or did anyone else want to buy silver and gold whenever the new president was on screen? Buy silver and gold. Oh, because of the yen crashing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. <laughs> Tanky yeah, economy. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, uh, uh, number two, as Zach mentioned earlier, the White House set is from X2 and looked fantastic. How did he know that? I don't know how he knows these things. Uh, number three, Woolsey is such a bureaucratic sleazebag, but at least he's trying to do what's right. And I guess prevent the potential assassination of a president. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I couldn't disagree more, but that's okay. Uh, so I, I will agree that Woolsey is a bureaucrat. But bureaucrats are not bad. Uh, well, bureaucrats are not intrinsically bad. Nor is bureaucracy bad. Bureaucracy is not intrinsically bad. <laughs> yes, friends, you are witnessing a a verbal showdown right now. Right? <laughs> We're standing at two ends of the town right now, just squinting at each other with our dictionaries. Uh, bureaucracy is a system. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Systems are necessary. Yes, they because, are. Because, I mean, as soon as you have two people looking at each other, uh, you create a system. Yes, you do. It's like a field. It's like a gravitational field that uh, is its own thing um, that wouldn't exist if the two things didn't come together, but they Correct. did. And so now it's this thing and it exists. Um, uh, that doesn't mean the system has to be healthy. Oh, no. Uh, and if it's not healthy, it might be necessary, but it's not good. And in fact, could be, in fact, bad the yeah the the thing that people rail up against are uh, they they don't like unhealthy bureaucracy they they don't like unhealthy system um bureaucracy exists because people are people and uh people cannot be trusted to be heroes so you create systems that allow people to fail and the thing doesn't fall apart that's why bureaucracy exists now we have bountiful evidence experience existing inside bureaucracies that exist that existed at the start for those reasons and then continue to exist for those reasons nominally, but they haven't been cared for. And so as a result, they are now unhealthy and we still have to navigate them because they still exist. Uh, I don't know if I would agree with all of that, but I agree with most of it. Yeah. I mean, um, I agree with all of it, but there we go. Well, <laughs> um, so uh, Kevin, we're back to Kevin. Yes. Kevin says, not a clip show fan, but I think Zach and Brent will give it a four. Yeah. Brent, you've seen almost seven full seasons of SG-1. Mm-hmm. And then he says some other stuff. Oh, okay. Um, then we have Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says, there's a new prime minister and he doesn't know about the wizarding world. It's up to the Minister of Magic to get him up to speed and... <laughs> oh, wait. Wrong media franchise. <laughs> the other one. Okay. Take two. Rowan, I consistently appreciate your sense of humor. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, continuing. Uh, exterior shot, the White House. Interior, the Oval Office. The TARDIS materializes in a corner. <laughs> no, no, that's not it either. Okay. Uh, take three. President Jed Bartlett is... <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> but I'm close 
closer this time because this guy was actually the Secretary of State on the West Wing. Yeah. President Likeable Doofus had no idea he was on a sci-fi show. So it's time for Vice President Jerkface to bring him up to speed with <laughs> yeah. his version of events in a very special Clips episode. Good thing the new Commander-in-Chief has immediately decided to jump on the Team Stargate bandwagon, and even lawful neutral Woolsey is not a fan of Kinsey's motivation and methods. Once again, the show delivers an above-average Clips episode with bonus political intrigue. Brent and Zach will both give it a 3. Oh. This episode has an IMDb rating of 6.9, which is a 2.5 chevrons. What? Putting it in the bottom 25% of Stargate episodes overall. Well, I think that I am finally justified in saying that the world is wrong and I am right. Uh, Brent, it is safer to say that the world is wrong? Yes. I'm just saying. Yeah, sure. But I'm just going to go ahead and go all in. Okay. All my chips. just All your chips. You're just yep. pushing it all into the center. That's right. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, those are our Facebook uh, predictions. Very nice. Thank you, everyone. Uh, apparently, uh, we were more uh, kind to this episode. I, I For what it is, I thought it did a brilliant job. For what I it is. I think so, too. Uh, well, I also... I mean... Maybe it's just because of who I am, but I actually appreciate the the interplay between Woolsey and and Hayes and Kinsey. Um, you know that triad there as they're working through this process um, just hits some some systems buttons for me that that yes. work well. Yes, uh, and and even. And even adding uh, General Maynard in there as well. I think he's sometimes a little bit too Team Stargate, uh, to use Rowan's uh, language. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because then his arguments become like, I'm Team Stargate, so let's go do it! Yeah. And, and don't really have the, the specifics that, that the president specifically asked for right. at times. Anyway. Uh, our next prediction comes from Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Well, it's a clip show. But like all SG-1 clip shows, it actually does progress the plot. I think Brent will get a kick out of what's being set up, and I'm sure he'll have something to say about Woolsey. Zach already <laughs> knows the future. <laughs> the predictions? Yes. Brent 5, Zach oh, very close. 4. Uh, yeah, right on. No, wait. Yeah. You were you had a five. Yeah. So we. I so, had a five. So, so yep. same. You know, just just ratcheted up a one little. One higher. Yep. Yep. Um, we have Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. Greetings. Inauguration. Now with more talking heads and fifty percent fewer clips. Yes. Yes. This episode takes meta to the next level. The point counterpoint that happens between Woolsey and General Maynard could have been lifted from the writers' room. Mm -hmm. All of SG-1 has been repeatedly possessed or compromised. How are these people still working? Do we trust them? Context matters. It made sense at the time. They do work with they do work with alien technology. A man who died is still working. Do they not get sick days? <laughs> <laughs> I see this as a mea culpa from the writers. Huh. Seven seasons of episodic storytelling can lead to these conversations. The plot is similar to Disclosure, but this time the SGC is saved by the ancient technology of the floppy disk. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, yes. And, and she continues, 
Is it even readable after sitting in Hammond's desk for that long? I mean, probably, but yeah, probably. yeah, you know. Better not have any magnets anywhere near it. Well, you know, if he has made multiple copies of it, one... There we go. That's true. That's true. You know. Uh, anyway, uh, we do get character studies of two decision makers outside of the SGC. Woolsey has a sense of honor and won't be used. President Hayes is a quick study of complex situations and sensible. Good enough for the number two speed dial in Hammond's red phone. Mm-hmm. Threes for both Zach and Brent. Uh, I was much more generous, but that makes sense. Yeah. All right. And now, finally, we have David. Hi, David. Hail to the chief Chevron encoding bias buffer. Hail to the chief Chevron encoding bias buff. Er. <laughs> he says, this is probably one of the best clip shows ever made by anyone ever. There yeah. I said it. <laughs> it's been said. There. It's, it's now said. out there. <laughs> yes, it's still a clip show and all that. However, unlike other clip shows where it's, hey, remember when that thing happened? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> this particular episode <laughs> has meaning. <laughs> hey, do you remember that one time where you went through the gate <laughs> and you saw aliens? I remember that, Brent. Was Do you that? remember the time when the aliens had heads? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was great. That was pretty cool. <laughs> hey, you remember that time when, when we went through the gate and, and there were bad guys? Yeah. I that, was that, was, that wasn't as good. <laughs> and, and you know what was especially bad? That one time when they started shooting at us. Mm. Oh, that was, that was bad. Yes. That was bad. But, but then we got saved. That's great. Yeah. All right. Uh, this episode uh, it is introducing a new character and informing them of important things, establishing dramatic tension between the new character and an old adversary, but more importantly, it sets things up for the future. The last clip show did try to set things up, but did it not quite pay off but it did not quite pay off on the promise of what was supposed to happen. When was the last time SGC what, no, when was the last time SGC dealt with the French anyway? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a spoiler to say that the events of this episode, however, will have a lasting impact on the Stargate franchise going forward, mm-hmm. starting with the very next episode. Yeah, okay. It's still a clip show, though. Yes, it is. Brent, six chevrons for the what? story yes. that was told, and minus one chevron for being a clip show. Yeah, basically. So I don't know if he's saying six or the story that was told a seven. was a seven, but it's minus one. Uh, I, I don't know. but We're going to go with six. I'm going to say six. Go that six. was the number he said. All right. And number five, uh, a certain number of chevrons for the setup he knows is about to pay off. And Wait, that got- certain number of chevrons is five and a half. Oh, so close. So close. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Very, very good, David. Very good. Very good. Very good. So those are our predictions. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. That was wonderful. Yeah. And now, Brent. Yeah. The moment that everyone has been waiting for. Really? Possibly. I don't know. (laughs) Next week's episode. The two-part episode, Lost City. And yes, everybody who's listening, we will review them as a singular episode. Yeah, okay. Right? Lost City, the two-part finale of Stargate SG-1 Season 7. What's it about? Uh, Let's see here. 
Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the... Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. However, they have a clue before they walk onto the planet. You see, they have been doing their research. They have been checking their notes. They have been correlating their information. They have been studying it meticulously. They are confident that the place that they are walking to is none other than the lost city referenced by the tablet that was left by the ancients on Abydos. They are confident. They are secure in their knowledge. They are... Wait, what? Who can this be? It's Ergo? Why is he here? <laughs> He's here? Wait a minute, is he an ancient? What, is this been a gag the whole time? Wait a minute, who's popping out over there? It's Anubis, quick, get your weapons. Wait, what? He's, he's pulling down his head. Ha ha, just kidding. This is a big joke all along. Ah, you should have seen looks on you guys' faces when you came out of here. Oh, no. What has been all this time has been a, a, a very serious effort to try to get to the Lost City for weapons to defeat the ghoul. has turned into nothing but a giant gag set up in season two or three, whenever, whenever Ergo was. This isn't the lost city. This isn't even a city for the lost. This city was lost from the beginning. It had no idea where it was going. They set up the story so long ago, they couldn't even figure out how to end it. And here we are. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1, where we once again seem Dom DeLuise in the role of Ergo. And, uh, Ergo? Was that right? Yeah. And, uh, etc. I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost. Maybe I can find a city. Join us. I don't know. That was meta. That was so meta. That was so meta. I think I think half the problem is that, like, you know, let's put it this way. If this episode isn't about the Lost City, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> well, there is only one thing that we can do, and yes. that is hit play on the promo at this point in time and yes. see what it's all about. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm hitting play now. Next time on the season finale of Stargate SG-1. Mr. Vice President. Dr. Weir? Recent intel suggests that Anubis has become a serious threat to dominate the rest of the ghoul in a very short time. Mm-hmm. We have to consider Earth is at risk now more than ever. What are we talking about? Exactly. You running the Stargate program. Wait, what? Oh, that again. I have been relieved of Oh, no. Oh, no. Anubis is gathering the full force of his fleet. He will be here within three days. Oh, no. Do you know what the threat is? Anubis is half-ghouled, half-ascended ancient, with the knowledge and technology at his disposal to wipe us all from the face of the Earth. Let me make this simple. I come up with a lost city, we go find it. Yes or no? I will consider it. It's all next time on the season finale of Stargate SG-1. You are too late. Oh, I, I predicted that. Many oh. chevrons. <laughs> by the way, I was noticing the words go flying by everybody. So David was dropping in like subliminal messaging all through that thing. I just couldn't see them because it was literally for like a frame. Oh, fun. Okay. I'm ready to dive into this. Yes. Um, well, that's next time on Walking Through the Stargate. We will yeah. explore the Lost City or the City of the Lost or... Or or something else. 
We'll find it's out next time. We'll find out. We're, we're going to learn all about it. And Anubis yeah. is going to be there. Absolutely. Now, I want to give a special thanks to David for the promo. Uh, they're awesome. Even last Absolutely. week's promo, which was a little bit weird for inauguration, was still awesome. Oh, it was great. Uh, you know, it was great. Uh, so, dear folks, tell us what you think. Tell us all the fun things. Go to Discord. Go to the Facebooks. Go to the Twitters. Go to the, the whatever emails. All of that stuff. All go the, the stuff. Patreons, if that's what you want. Yep. All right. With all of that, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>